0: Hope you're all well during the lockdown and are keeping safe. You're listening to Birthing Babes podcast. In the second part of Patience episode, she'll tell us all about the home birth of her second daughter Fade, which is totally the opposite of Soda's. Listen on to hear Patience tell us in full details of Fade's free water birth at home, but please note of talks of termination at around seven to eight and a half minutes and stillbirths at about 17 to 21 minutes. There's also lots of free birthing resources in this episode, so make sure you get your pens and paper out.
1: Should we talk about Fade? Yeah, I'd love to talk about Fade. Somewhere along the line, I was like, we should have babies, not too close together, not too far apart. Let's do it now. I was still breastfeeding Soda at the time, and I think um, it was sort of like, I knew that I think I breastfed her for a little bit at the start of the pregnancy and then it just wasn't, it was like, she had someone come to bump her off the throne sort of thing. Yeah. And um, then with fade, I started seeing a new doctor and then I didn't, so, but then this doctor um, started when I first came to and said, I'm pregnant and I'm coming to see you really soon, like really early um, because I just really want to get into a midwifery group program. So I decided to go through like in the community midwifery group program that I didn't do the first time around because I just had this whole thing where I was like, I want a public birth and I'm going to go through the hospital and public birth, like, like the majority of women in Australia. I just really, you know, cause I wanted to experience that. But this time I was like, no, I want to go through a midwifery group program birth. And she was like, cool. And she sent off my stuff and she's like, so have you had, um, basically she said something like, so you and your husband before you had babies, you know, had blood tests and stuff. And I was like, no. For and what? then She was like, we, we didn't have any blood tests to see if you had any hepatitis or anything. I was like, no, oh. this is my second child. And she's like, oh, well, okay. And she's like, and if you guys had genetic testing done? And I was like, no, of course we haven't. Like, it's a what? And she so then she um, started sort of this path then of like, wow, okay, well, we should really go and get you um, – you need to go get a date scan. You need to get scanned now. So you've got a date scan. And then we're going to use that date scan and you're going to go do this like um. – you're going to get a, like a test where we take the – you're going to have go through whatever some clinic with genetics and you're going to get your blood and then they go, we're going to siphon it and all this stuff. And I started being like, why? Like, what are you looking for? And what's – I just – surely that just seems a little bit overkill. And she was like, well, no, do you have any like things in your family, cystic fibrosis? And as she said that, I was like, Oh yeah, my cousin has cystic fibrosis. And she was like, and you've never had a genetic test done between you and your husband. I was like, no, No, like no one in my family has, I don't know what you're talking about. And she was like, your, your child could have cystic fibrosis, like your chances, like you don't even know what your odds of getting cystic fibrosis are. It's and I was, you know, I was like, my cousin seems okay. And she's like, Cystic fibrosis is, you don't know how bad it's going to be. And I started stressing. I started stressing out. And so, yeah, I went and got my date scan. I went and started looking into this blood test. But John was not into it. John was like, this seems like a load of crap. Let's just do all the regular stuff and let, let's not do it. Because it it's costs not, it's bucks not, cheap, yeah. yeah, so then I got, so then basically my husband wasn't into it. And then I was really concerned where I was like, crap like I don't really what do I like I don't know I, I was stressing about cystic fibrosis then and I and I and I think I I wrote some really beautiful songs that we have downstairs for Fave when I was pregnant at this stage where I could feel her so much sooner than when I felt soda and I just felt really stressed and I didn't really know what to do and I, oh my God. Um, <laughs> I can see her little hand. This little hand coming up through the shirt. Yeah, this is her move. Touch oh, my non existent Adam's apple. <laughs> yeah. Fade's here with her hand up. She's having a booby. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just felt really stressed and I wanted to do the right thing. Yeah. I really wanted to do the right thing. And um so we ended up, it was like this long story. We ended up going and meeting a genetic counselor at the Royal Brisbane Women's Hospital. And then she did like worked out my stats on, on fade having cystic fibrosis, which were as they stood with it being my cousin, they were like one in 800. And she was like, they're greater odds. And she's like, we're going to, but I'm going to send you off somewhere else to get a test. That's going to be cheaper. This one that your doctor wants you to do is through this private company. It's yeah. also through this private birthing company and ultrasound clinic and stuff. And you don't need to go through them and you're just going to go get this other test done through the normal Queensland x-ray. Oh, sorry. Like I think not Queensland x-ray. It was like, you know, just a normal blood test done at, you know, a normal clinic. And I was like, great. Okay, cool. So I did it. And it's, I still think, I think, I still think it costs $400 and I remember when I got the results for it back, they went to my doctor and this was a really big turning point in my pregnancy. And like, <laughs> this was a really big turning point in my pregnancy and my birth was that I when the results were in she read me what did she what did she say she said I just need to read you the parameters of the test And I was like what do you mean the parameters like I just want to know like what's going on in there and she was like well you know you need to understand how correct this she literally she read so much for ten minutes, like she just wouldn't stop reading. In the end, I ended up being like, "Can you just tell me what is so? This is bad, right? This isn't good." And then she was like, "Oh no, let's look at the results." And it oh. came back like so: it was like either negative for a bunch of stuff or ridiculously small for cystic fibrosis. Meanwhile, my poor cousin who ended up dying of cystic fibrosis oh, no. two years ago was really actually offended. She of this whole cystic fibrosis thing. And I do think that I did make her feel probably like, I do think it ended up being something that was a little bit offensive to her that I was going through all of this trouble to find out if our kid could possibly have cystic fibrosis, even though I wasn't ever saying it to her and trying to keep it from her. You know, she found out because I had to contact her to ask her what type of cystic fibrosis she had. Right. And that's sort of how she ended up finding out. And it wasn't nice and it was this sort of shitty experience and I think it didn't make her feel good. And she just kept saying to me, fuck this doctor. You don't – I've lived a really good life. She ended up dying at 48 and she was like, I would prefer to have lived my life than to have been terminated. Oh, And the doctor always to talked – she always talk about termination yeah. as well. And I just finished reading a book that was talking about termination but they were sort of saying hey if you think that getting a termination from like 14 weeks onwards is going to be this really easy pleasant experience like you can get terminated but you should really understand what's going to happen and it didn't really sound that nice and it didn't really sound that easy and it yeah. sounded gross and it ends it didn't sound good so I was sort of waiting on these results thinking like you know what I don't even know if I can even get a termination you've got to like pull the baby apart bit by bit like break it up and you've got to put a needle in there, break it up, and then you're going to pull it out bit by bit or you're going to induce me to the point where I, like, you're going to put a needle up there and kill it and then you're going to induce me to the point where I then naturally deliver the baby. And I was like, that sounds shit. Oh, shit. All of that sounds fucked up. Like, so I'm doing all of these tests, but to what end? Because I didn't yeah. even know if I could go through with the termination at this yeah. stage, knowing, now knowing what a termination at, whether I was 14 or 16 weeks at the time, looks like for somebody like me... I don't even know anymore. And um, yeah, but you know, I got those results back and it just gave me so much food for thought. And I started feeling like I knew these people through Southside who'd used this amazing doula and they'd given birth at home. And then later I found out it was free birthing. She's not a midwife. She's a doula that just comes around and helps you have your baby at home. She doesn't carry a medical bag. There's no medical stuff. She's got a... Um, a birth pool and people, you know, just adore her. And I got her number from, you know, a customer that came into Southside all the time and I called her up. She was really sweet and we spoke for a while and she came around to my house and immediately John just loved her. And I was like giving her my ultrasounds and stuff and she never even looked at them once. She was like, yeah, I'm sure like whatever it's, you know, it's all fine. And I, I don't know. She didn't she just came around like so, then it was a totally different experience. She was very relaxed. And then she came around and one-on-one taught me about birth. She had diagrams. She was talking about the effacing of your like cervix and the thinning of your uterus and where your uterus is at, and sort of just explained birth and then would just tell me birth stories. She wasn't like feeling my belly. She wasn't taking any measurements. She wasn't doing anything. She was just talking to me about giving birth and the birth that she went to on the weekend and the types of births that she did and the variety of births that she did. And um, I was still going to the midwifery group practice because I wanted to have one foot in both camp. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't really getting on with my midwifery group practice assigned midwife.
0: Mm. She
1: was English and very kind of, um, I, I don't know, just not very, like, welcoming, you know. It just sort of pretty early on I was like, man, why I get stuck with you? Like, so I don't want to be having a with you. Is this the same hospital as where you had soda? Same hospital but this one, it's like there's a church up the street and the midwifery group
0: practice oh, is run right.
1: out of that. So you'd go there once a month mm. or – And then they talk and they show you videos as well. And then they do your like measurements. They measure your fundus and take your blood pressure and blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. And I have to admit that when I realized that we were giving birth in the martyr again, I was a little bit like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go back. I just don't want to go back to that hospital. I knew that I'd have a greater success of the birth I wanted. Going through midwifery group practice, Doing it with a midwife-driven system, and I do really still think the midwife system is just a fantastic system, and I hope it gets all the funding that it you know deserves. And mm-hmm. I love that it is an option. I um I just didn't click with my midwife. Started really connecting with my doula, and then started doing um, online courses through Indie Birth in america which have a podcast and a variety of courses that you can just buy and do through their website they are a free birthing source for americans and did an amazing neonatal like resuscitation course through them yeah and um like a meconium course and um just like in general you know birthing stuff and they Mm -hmm. and listen to their podcast on like vitamin k and and things like that and also on the like is it um um staff test like the the vaginal staff test and stuff so i I don't know i just got really deep into free birth and doing paying for courses and doing courses online and free birth i didn't even know um, they exist yeah so there's like, there's like, it's more of an American thing because like my friend has really expensive healthcare coverage in America, but she still paid $12,000 out of pocket to have her baby
0: it's in America.
1: Expensive. Yeah. America is expensive place to have a baby. Good. So free birth is, is like, seems to have, be a bigger movement in America because they don't have public healthcare system. All right. right. I sort of, yeah. So it's just like, it's a different set of Thing, you know, things having a baby over there when you are, um, when you don't have a, a a decent public healthcare system. Yeah. So I started, and there's like, um, the Free Birth Society on Instagram that have stuff, and then there's Bow Wife on Instagram, and she is really vocal with free birthing as well. Mm. So yeah, you know, I just started. I just really got into free birthing. So I was into birthing, but more than anything, I was into free birthing. I was into undisturbed autonomous birthing that was completely unobserved. And I was also really into the sexuality of birthing and really thought deeply about it. it, It's all the same things. It's your sex organs and the sexual um, regions of your brain all light up. The same stuff works making the baby as it does when you are giving birth. Mm. So I just started thinking about you know, what's, what's sex like for me? How do I, what, how do I have an orgasm? Mm. And really interestingly, so I, I find having an orgasm to be quite difficult. Like I'm just not the world's best orgasm person. (laughs) Like I just can't easily. The best way for me to have an orgasm is through masturbating alone. Yep. That's my greatest success. That's like my best yeah, and that like, like I'm, and I'm not being offensive to my husband, and I don't think it's any deficiency in him. I think it's more that it's like I just have to understand myself. Yeah, and not his fault. But I really took that on board when I was mapping out my free birth. I was like, I got some earplugs, got curtains to darken my room. I was going into the place where I had. Where the, you know, where I'd have a bigger chance of having an orgasm to now labor. And that's, that was like where I, you know, sort of put that part of my birth and then water birth. Great. Liz brings around the pool. She sets it up. That's fantastic. Um, and then other things like I had one, like I had a shawl that I was going to use for like whatever that thing is where you can like belly (laughs) wobble, you know, when you put the shawl around you, there's a term for it. And I had a variety of other things, like I had massive Ziploc bags for if I needed to um, resuscitate soda from watching my neonatal resuscitation course a few times, and and a cutting board because one of the things is you need to keep babies warm, and yeah. one of the best ways to keep babies warm is actually just sticking them in plastic. Plastic is warmer than blankets, oh. you know. And I had like towels, and I had stuff in my like my like my birth kit. And, um, and yeah, so then it was, but then little things happened to me when I was pregnant with fate, I just kind of knew that I was having a brown haired baby with blue eyes. That was a girl. And I don't, I had a different connection with this pregnancy and I rejected my glucose intolerance test as a test for myself. Cause I didn't think I needed it. Right. And I needed to practice saying no to midwives. Yeah. I don't have a glucose problem. I didn't put on lots of weight. My babies are always slightly underweight during pregnancy where the concern for my babies is that they're not big enough, not that they're too big. I have a really great diet and I'm really good at exercising. I didn't put myself in any high-risk category for uh, like having gestational diabetes or anything along those lines. So I said no to the midwives at the midwifery group program because I really didn't think I was doing anything unsafe and I really needed to practice saying no yeah. to midwives. And it was hard. And they tried to talk me into it and they got really cross with me yeah. and I was able to stand my ground. And it was a really big moment for me taking on my birth and not handing over the responsibility to somebody else. Mm. I am now in charge of my, like, birth. Yeah, I don't know. That was a really big moment for me taking that control because I also have so – I've got five friends that have had stillbirths in hospitals. Oh, that's a lot. So I don't have this um, – yeah, I feel like that's a lot too, honestly. Yeah. But I also feel like through having a small business, I I know a lot of people. So yeah. I don't know. I feel like maybe I know more people than the normal person, which is what I use to justify the amount of stillbirths that I know of. Yeah. So I didn't, I sort of went, I had a different approach to this birth, but I didn't walk into the situation thinking, hey, I'm just going to have a hospital birth. Everything's going to be fine. I was really like, need to be at peace with stillbirth. I yeah. need to understand stillbirth. Also, it happens in the hospital there's stuff, there's reasons why stillbirth just happens and you can't yeah. be, and not, and it's, it's not in charge. Like you're not in charge of it, nor is the hospital. Mm. Like there's definitely things that can happen that can be bettered, and mm. children that can be saved, except you still need to come to terms with the fact that it's, it's a possibility. Yeah. And, um, and I really enjoyed that process. And that's a process that I would honestly urge any mum any mum to be to really think about and the sooner the better like I don't want to make you sad but I think it's just like when you really look into the complexities of what it takes to make a human being how you've got these thousands of strands of DNA that go into making lungs and it only takes two of them to be fucked up for a child to get cystic for a child to have cystic fibrosis yeah like it's amazing that in another kid out of those thousands of like strands of DNA that go together like to make perfect lungs that more aren't stuffed like Mm. honestly it's just crazy the amount of things that go into making a human being it really is it's just awesome yeah and I um yes so I it was like a deep pregnancy for me where and I wasn't scared of free birthing at home but I knew I couldn't tell people about it and I had to lie and tell people I was because of like the stigma of free birthing and being a irresponsible person and what I was actually most scared of was not stillbirth I really didn't want that to happen but I had just you know I'd come to terms with the fact that these things happen yeah and and not that I would wish it on anyone but I you you know there's there's certain things that will never be stopped and that I was more scared that I would still birth at home and then always be blamed for my baby dying. Yeah. Because I didn't birth in a hospital. Because if you still birth in a hospital, that's a totally different situation. It's like she did everything she could, they did everything they could, whatever. And, you know, that's, and that for the reality of one of my most beautiful friends. She took a private midwife in to give, like, and she gave birth at the Royal Brisbane Women's Hospital with a private midwife they paid $5,000 for on top. They had the most beautiful birth. It was the most beautiful day in her life. Her baby was, her baby was, was not, he was dead when he came out. That was just it. They couldn't do anything. Yeah. Nothing happened. She had the most beautiful day. She was so high of her incredible natural birth, and it took her about 48 hours to really understand what had happened um, because she just had the most beautiful birth with him and, yeah, it right. was, and nothing could stop that. And I just really thought, I just didn't want one, you know, you don't want that to happen, but if it did happen, I really felt like no one would ever believe me that it happened like that. I would always be the dangerous woman yeah. that could have saved her baby's life if she just birthed in a hospital. And that was probably the hardest part for me about free birthing at home. Mm. Um, but I also had a lot of faith in Liz. I had so much faith in Liz uh, with her capabilities. I also felt so lucky that I'm 13 minutes away from the Mater Hospital. Yeah. So it's not like I'm hours away, you yeah. know, and I also felt cool knowing that I could change my mind at any minute yep. and do whatever, you know, and that I'm in Brisbane and we also have a public health system that provides us with ambulances. Yeah. So all of those things were also really good at um, sort of helping me you know, just feel really cemented in my decision. And, um, yeah, so I continued on with this birth. Of course they had these like fear. Eventually they were like, of course you didn't need the, you know, gestational diabetes, like the whatever glucose intolerance test, because I think your baby's small. And I was like, yeah, tell me about it. This happened the first time, like she's going to be fine. And it was all cool. Um, it, you know, wasn't a problem. They just, I just birth babies and make babies the same size. <laughs> they were born, there was a hundred grams difference between them when yeah. they were born. This is just what I do. There, were, there was a, one was, Fade was a centimeter shorter and a hundred grams lighter. But oh, so they were essentially, they were eventually just like so the same.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but, um, but even then, like Soda was, uh, Soda was 3.4 kilos and Fade was 3.3 kilos. So, so they're average. Average. Yeah. Totally average. Not, not problems. Um, but, um, yeah, I had this dream that was really strange that, not that I'm even that sort of person, but where I gave, I was giving birth in the mada with the new midwife and my birth had stalled and I couldn't and I was just there and I'm sitting on the ground and I was like, man, and she's like, well, we're just going to have to start doing some stuff now because your birth stalled and it's not advancing. Mm. And then my, my dream quickly morphed into me giving birth in my in soda's bedroom and me birthing and her having meconium but it not being a problem and but i totally gave birth and she had meconium and it wasn't an issue and i was like okay oh strange but very interesting and i i you know i i it was just a strange interesting dream only because of what happened when i actually gave birth yeah so at 39 weeks I remember the day before again, I went like crazy food shopping where I was like, I got to get some food. We got to get food. And that's like, not that I thought that was a sign of labor, but the next morning, Monday morning, again, Monday, 5am, woke up, big, big cramp. This time around, I was super tired because I already had a toddler, went back to sleep, woke up to another cramp, went back to sleep and then sort of got up around 6 and was like, that's interesting. I wonder if I'm going into labor today. But it seems a bit early because I almost, you know, soda was all pretty much 42 weeks and I'm 39 weeks today. Yeah. Seems a bit, seems a bit soon. I don't really think I'm gonna, you know, pay that much attention. I also, but as the morning went on, between like six and eleven, I started being like, this is regular, this is routine, this is happening and i had promised to take our 96 year old neighbor to our other neighbor's funeral oh. so yeah and she came but i would forgotten and like i remembered early in the morning but then by the time 11 o'clock rolled around she just was knocking at my door like patience are we going to the funeral and i was like yes we are Uh-oh. so i quickly john, called john, john, like, john at work You've got- yeah, well mm. yeah, he actually he was doing bookkeeping under our house in our band room. So that was good. I quickly ran down and was like, Oh, John, I forgot about Dulcie's funeral. You've got to look after Fade. I'm soda, I'm gonna be back in a few hours. And as we were driving there, I don't know, it all just started feeling very real. Did you tell and, John you might be funeral, in labor? Yeah, that's when I started being like, I think I'm in labor, but not not pre pre labor. It wasn't real labor. Yeah, yeah it was just still very casual but they were increasing Mm. and during the service i was like it's just they're so regular they're so regular they're so routine afterwards i started trying to say really cute things to the you know to the morning kids that are my neighbors like i think your mum's in heaven and she's tickling my baby to come out they don't care (laughs) during morning they were like, yeah, patience. But let us oh, just like mourn. Okay, mate. <laughs> yeah, okay, mate. And I was like, oh, this is not going down the way. I thought it was gonna be adorable. But not working. Got my neighbor home. Got home, ate, just famished. Like I was famished. I just ate so much food. Decided to watch Moana with soda in the early afternoon. Um, which became a big soundtrack to me birthing later on in the night. I could not get shiny out of my head. I mean, all.
0: would that be better than let it go?
1: Totally. Well, at this stage we <laughs> hadn't watched Frozen. We were all about Mulan, so it was okay. <laughs> but um, I remember at around, I just thought it was happening, and I called our midwife at around three, and I said, "Do you know what? I think it could be happening tonight." And she was like, "Really? You're thirty-nine weeks." Ooh. Amazing, I was like, "Yeah," and she was like, "Well, I'm in the city. Just see how you go, okay? Just let me know when you get to the point where if you had a tray of cookies in the oven and you would just leave them to burn because you don't care, call me back." And I was like, "Got it, okay, got it." And around four o'clock was when I started thinking maybe I'm going to get serious into making sure I can tip this over into labor, and I. I had some towels I stuck them in the dryer which is not normally what I do I normally sun-dry towels because mm. they're very expensive to dry <laughs> yeah. but my little brother who was like 19 or 20 at the time was living with us and I was like yo dude I you're gonna have to look after soda because I, for a bit John's coming home soon but I'm gonna have you and you have to get the towels out I need clean towels tonight just in case I have a baby um but I'm going to go into my room now and I'm going to put my earplugs in. And I'm going to have a big coconut water. I'm going to pull the blinds and I'm, the curtains. I'm going to make this dark place. So I went in there about, you know, four 30 ish and was just moving around doing stuff. I do feel like I have missed out on something also that was really important for me during this birth was I did a course in Brisbane called active birth, um, active birth, Uh, yoga class with Susan Swan and she's amazing in Brisbane and I tell every single birthing mother that I've gotten to do active birth yoga, yoga class with and that I've talked to about my free birth have all naturally vaginally birthed and I don't think that shit statistically adds up so I cannot say highly enough that that if that's what you want to do you've got to follow that you've got to go see her you've got to do her course and then you've got to like listen to me tell you about my birth and then you will vag birth
0: um my friend Erin lightfoot which is the episode before you uh did she said she did some yoga birth course but i don't know if it's through susan but she's also in brisbane
1: and she had she probably did she She had a water, water
0: birth So she had a natural water birth at their birthing center. So there you go. Another one to your list.
1: Another one, Susan Swan. She's incredible. And she is like the lady you go to in Brisbane. Yeah, right. She's been doing it for like 20 years. Yes. She's really cool. The thing that sucks though is that they still struggle to get people. You know, that's small business Um, life. mm. It's like she's been doing it for 20 years. She's incredible. But every time, you know, it's like a one-off. Thing. most people don't return you don't have that many returning customers so she's constantly trying yeah to get the yeah a big deal but um I remember um I think it was around 5 30 or 5 o'clock I came out of the room John had sort of done some stuff with soda I called our. I called Lynn again and was like Lynn I think I'm starting to get to the cookie I'd leave the cookies to burn I, <laughs> And she was like, okay, well, not that I really have anything to bring, but I don't have anything because I'm just in Brisbane and I'm not going to go back to my house. I'm just going to come over. And I was like, okay, cool. And when she came over, she was just in my room. I was laboring in my room, doing all the things I got through active birth yoga class, like the tilting of my pelvis. I had my earplugs in my ears. I was just zoning. And I didn't even know she came. I didn't even know she'd, when she'd arrived at her house. But yeah, I remember I as because I looked at the clock as I walked through the kitchen. It was six thirty eight as I went to the toilet to just to, I sort of I wanted to make sure I peed. I felt like it had been a long time since I'd peed. I know a big bladder is not great for getting a baby out because it kind mm. of blocks the way. yeah, and um so I was like, you've got to go in there. and it was it was quite a bit of mental effort to pee, to be honest, yeah, I had to really think about it between contractions. So I did. I peed great did a pee and then she moved down and my waters broke same sort of position I was in when they broke with soda and how fantastic that my broader my waters broke over the toilet yeah what a sensation no cleanup (laughs) it was so good perfect they just broke over the toilet it was great so I stayed in there again had another contraction cool so cool When I did stand up and walk back to the room, I leaked a bit, but I know that um, that's when I first saw Liz. I was like, oh, hi, Liz. I didn't know you were here, but my waters have broken in the toilet. Oh, here's a bit more run out now. And she's like, I've got it. Don't worry about it. And I went back to the room. And I went back to the room and just continued laboring and breathing. Breathing is what did it for me. Mm. Just five really slow breaths out, five really slow breaths in, clicking, you know, and had my, my earplugs in. So my breath was really loud in my ears. Um, and I remember there was a point where I had like a bean bag, and I was like, I was just so glad no one was in the room with me. I was just in there by myself because it felt really good to start rocking my pelvis back and forth. And I, Felt like I looked like what a chihuahua looks like when it humps somebody's leg. <laughs> like I was doing it and I was like, this is the least flattering thing, but this just feels like what my body wants to do. And I'm doing it. And I'm just so glad no one is looking at me right now. <laughs> right. So I did that. And then I remember I had this moment where I felt really, after doing that, I felt really, I almost feel like I felt a hormonal release.
0: Mm.
1: Like I, it was almost like I could totally acknowledge that I'd had a massive endorphin release. Yeah, and I felt tired and really good and really tired. And then just leant down and knelt over this beanbag, and my birth just sort of halted. It just kind of stopped. Nothing happened, and I had read that this is something that can happen when you're having a labor is after you've gone through transition Mm. and you're fully dilated, Mm. your body releases endorphins Mm. to get you through the next stage, but it makes you feel pooped. Like you feel really tired and you're, and you know, your labor might in fact actually just stop for a little bit and have a break. Right. they have got all weird terms for this in the midwifery like scene where they call it the void. Mm. where you've entered the void, where you're halfway between the other realm and life because you're fully dilated. Your baby hasn't been born yet. And you're just completely open. Some people call it, um, uh, rest and be thankful is another term. This is the rest you get before the pushing stage rest and be thankful. Right. And that's all I just kept thinking rest and be thankful I'm just going to rest and be thankful mm. and I was resting and be thankful you know and that was just it I was laying there and I was like this is so funny I really think this is just what's happening to me mm. I like laid on the beanbag and I don't really think I was laying there for very long but I wasn't really paying track of time to when I sort of started got a kick back to jolt and I was like you know what maybe I've been laying down for too long all right I've got to get back up again mm. I've got to, I've got to get up and and get, get moving and get this baby out because maybe my labor stopped. Mm. Of course, I probably just had a, you know, some adrenaline release to get me through the next stage. Yeah. Then is John home at this stage? Yep. John's home, but he's not with me because I don't want anyone. I just did not want anyone oh, with me. Okay. I I also knew that like talking about the sex stuff before that that's like my best zone is like being completely alone. Yeah. So I was like, I'm just going with that. I'm just going to be completely alone. And, um, I'm just in the room and it's shut and I put my, my hands on the walls of our bedroom and I'm facing the wall and then I got a big contraction and immediately regretted it. (laughs) And was like, ah, why did I, why did I, why did I tell my labor to start again? (laughs) (laughs) That seems strange when I was just resting there doing nothing. Oh, okay. Like I immediately was like, Ah, why the fuck did I do that? That was crazy. I should just be (laughs) laying on that beanbag again doing nothing. And I had a few of those and they were pretty overwhelming. Mm. And that's when I remember I banged on the wall and I was like, and then John came in and I said, and all I said was, get the birth pill ready, please. Oh, and that's wow. all I could say. Yeah. And he left the room and he was like, came back within one second. He was like, yes, it's completely ready. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. He was like, it's completely ready patients. It's completely, completely ready. And I was like, oh. Okay, I didn't hear them doing that. I didn't know you were that in the zone. Right. Yeah. I'm in the zone. In the other bedroom, the birth pool was completely ready, so I was like, "All right then." So I I lay, I remember I didn't move straight away because I wanted to not get too eager. And there was there was definitely a point where I was like, "Fuck, I can't." Nothing could soothe me. There was no position that I could lie. I couldn't lie down. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't do anything. There was nowhere I could put my body that would make me feel. Okay. And that's when I was like, I've got to get in this pool. Came in, got in the pool. And then I like told everyone to leave, but immediately regretted it because yelling out was too hard. Yeah. And I got John to come back and I just said, please get me a tambourine. I cannot yell to you if I need you. And there's, I can't bang on a wall. And he was like, okay, okay, okay. And he ran off and he found me a tambourine and brought a tambourine back in and put it down easy access next next to the birth pool. And again, I said, just just go, just go, just go. Shut the door, please. And he shut the door. And I didn't know this, but John was just lying outside on the floor in front of the door that was closed. Mm. And um, Liz was saying to him that I'm the only second woman in 11 years of being a doula where she's done like 485 births that I'm the only second person that she's ever encountered that was like completely wanted to be isolated and just fully in the zone and didn't want to be robbed, didn't want anything. I just wanted to be completely left alone. Yeah. Which was very interesting to learn that fact afterwards mm. done, you know, probably by this stage now, it's been a couple of years. She's probably done over 500 births. She's amazing. Mm. But, um, I I felt like the birth pool was ginormous. I felt like it was too hot. Eventually I felt too hot and I rang the tambourine and they came in and put some water in. And I was just trying to figure out the best way to go through my contractions, which were actually the most hardcore contractions that I'd had since beginning labour. And then I guess at some stage I started just, I had an involuntary push, which I was in complete disbelief that had happened i i just there was i just thought there's no way that happened and then a little bit longer i had another one i was like oh my god so i rang the tambourine and they all came they came into the room and i was like this can't be happening liz i've still got ages to go there's no way i can do this and she said patience put your middle finger up inside you your baby is only going to be the length of your middle finger away if that and I was like, no. And she's like, give it a go. I put my finger up there. That was it. She was the length of my middle finger away. And then I was shocked. Like I couldn't believe it. I just, wow. It was amazing. But the final, the end installment of Fade's birth. Yeah. So you were, that, t- you stuck your finger in. I put in. my finger up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a real different experience. Me getting to see, like yeah. put my finger inside myself. And yeah. I was actually completely motivated. I could feel her head. I could put my, I put my finger up there and it was just this like a most amazing thing. I was like, oh, my God. And I could feel like all the ripples in her um, scalp has oh. all that little bit of fatty skin is all squished in there. Oh, my God. And it was amazing. And I'm like, there she is. So I labored and had some more kind of surges that I wasn't in control of. Mm. And it started getting, it started getting pretty full on. And this is where I started to get scared. Yeah. which is a normal thing at the, you know, towards the end of, it's because your body's releasing adrenaline and adrenaline makes you scared
0: Yeah,
1: and you're just trying to, you know, your body just needs to make sure you've got enough energy to push this baby out. But the psychological effect of having that, you know, of having adrenaline released is that you can actually just feel scared then.
0: Yeah. So I
1: was feeling scared and it was quite painful. And I started thinking weird thoughts where I was like, I'm never giving birth again. This is why people get cesareans. Fuck, I don't even care if my baby even comes out. I don't even care if I get a baby after this or not. Like crazy things that you wouldn't want to admit to somebody. Yeah. I said to my dual, I said, I, 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 I'm thinking bad thoughts. And she was like, You're okay. You are okay. Everything's fine. Mm. And I was like, No, no, no. I don't even care if I get a baby now. She claims that I never said that. That's what I feel like I said to her. Yeah. And she was like, you're doing amazing. You've got this. Mm. You're pushing your baby out. And I was like, no, it, I, it can't be. It's happening too quickly. I can't be pushing my baby out. And she's like, patience you are. Put your finger up there again. It's not even going to be as far away as to the bottom of your nail bed in your pointer finger. Like oh this God. time she wanted me to use the, the pointer finger. And then I put my pointer finger in and bam. I mean, there was the baby. She was like millimeters from being out in the world. Oh my gosh. and that was just so cool. I just again, was totally shocked mm. and then fully motivated. I, I I just couldn't I just put my and I was rubbing my finger, sort of just sort of touching very gently the top of her head, and I couldn't. I was like, she is right. She is just there. That is how far away she is from being born. Um, and then. The pushes started, it's like the proper pushing a baby out pushes happened then. And it was cool. They were the like Ferguson reflex or the fetal ejection reflex. And I was not in charge of them, but I did need to guide them. Yeah. They were more effective when I put my chin down and I opened my mouth and I made a really low sound. Mm. Um, vocalizing during the pushing stage just made it so much more productive and effective for me. Right. And I was having these thoughts where I was a lion roaring with its mouth completely open. Yeah. But the head of a lion on the snake body. And there was like a (laughs) tube going through from my lips, all the way as wide as my lips are, all the way down through my body to my like, um, you know, uterus or, you know, vagina or whatever is open down there, it was like a big tube running down there. So I was totally having, I had visualization at this point of this sort of thing happening. And I also really feel like I've had this internal voice the whole time where I was laboring and stuff, where there was a little lady, like lady, sorry, the birth junkie inside of me was kind of keeping notes and keeping track and was like, oh wow yeah you could be in rest and be thankful maybe that's what's happening or oh yeah you've had a bit of an adrenaline surge now because um I guess that's why you started freaking out and wanted the pool to be ready is because you had some extra adrenaline and blah 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 Mm. and you know and now when giving birth I was had this lady being like let's think about the best position you know one of the good positions is one leg up one leg down that you know and I gave that a crack it didn't work and this little voice again is like okay, you know, both legs down. So I was just on my knees. Fantastic. That was my spot. And I felt like I had a panel of women in my brain. Nine of them were screaming. (laughs) And one little lady on the end, the midwife inside was like, how very interesting. Can you feel that? That is your stretch receptors in your pelvis at their maximum pain threshold they are beyond they're beyond what you know normally that'd be stretched they're at an 11 out of 10 oh and they're gosh. feeling hot can you feel how they feel warm and this like was i had this panel of women in my brain nine screaming one lady giving me a narrative and as as i gave an, another massive push and mm. i could feel it, it felt like i broke the bones in my pelvis oh. <laughs> like because i'd stretched and my that little lady was like oh my goodness that is your bones in your pelvis stretching to accommodate your baby because oh, she's, she's like coming out. And that's when um, old mate said to me, oh, your baby's head's out. <laughs> and and Liz was like, John, I'm going to need your phone now. And John was like, okay. At this stage, John had come around to be in front of me.
0: Yeah. And I was
1: like holding onto his arms. and But he, he gave her his phone and she turned the torch on and she said, okay, we've got some meconium. It's all coming out of her nose and her mouth really well. So don't rush to push this baby out. We're just going to relax now and just sit here in restitution. And so I did. And I just was blowing hot chips, which is something I learned through like active birth, you know, baby yoga, which is the the company name. And I was like (laughs) blowing hot chips. And I just blew hot chips. And that actually went on for three minutes. But. It didn't feel like three minutes. I don't know what it felt like, but it was Mm. just like an amount of time that I could not quantify. And I just was like blowing hot chips, blowing hot chips. I don't want to tear blowing hot chips, blowing hot chips. And that was it. I was just blowing hot chips. And um, then she said, this is looking really good. She's looking great. Patience. Next time you feel like the urge to push, push. And I reckon about 20 seconds after that, I had the urge. And that's when I pushed her out. And It was so funny having a birth that had an epidural where I couldn't feel anything yeah. to a birth where I had could feel everything, because pretty much the second that her shoulders had passed, there was absolutely no more pain, and, you know, it was just so crazy then because I was like, oh wow here, yeah. and that was it. She came down into the water. Liz um, turned her so she came to the front, yeah. underwater, and then I um, picked her up. But I was very with it after that. So then I went to the edge of the birth pool. My cord was long enough. It wasn't like a super long cord, but I put her in the drainage position down along my arm. I knew she'd had meconium. I didn't want to rush her to breathe. I did nothing. What I wanted her to do was to swallow. Babies are really good at swallowing. They drink and swallow all the time in utero. They're experts at it. If she had any meconium in her mouth, I wanted her to swallow it, any in her esophagus. I wanted it to be swallowed. I didn't want her to um, breathe it in. Mm. So I just left her, and then I, I just didn't do anything. And I just was like, sort of had. I just sort of was like, oh my gosh, welcome to the world, fade. That it's it's been such a big journey that you've taken to be mm. here, and that's sort of all I said. And I was like, oh, welcome, oh, welcome to the world. And John was sort of standing there, and then. I said, can you please speak to her, to John? Because like Liz, our doula, had this really strong belief that babies, if a baby's not being responsive, you should definitely get its dad to talk. It's used to hearing its mum's voice and it's more of a treat to hear its dad's voice. And then I was like, please. And then he was like, oh, hello, hello. And he started talking to her. And then she started, um, I couldn't see her like, you know, inhalation breaths or her ventilation breaths. Yeah, but she was fine. She was just breathing. She wasn't yeah. crying. She was just breathing. And then I was like, "Wow!" And I sort of spun around to stick her on my boobie, and that's when she um started to get pretty cross <laughs> and started crying. Yeah, and I was like, "Okay, girlfriend's crying now." <laughs> yeah. And then um I've got two photos only of my birth, and mm-hmm. I've, I'll have them to send to you. And it's me then in the birth pool yeah. with her near my boob. She didn't want to latch. The way that soda wanted to latch straight away yeah and liz came down and whispered into john's ear hold the umbilical cord john and yeah. he reached in the water and he held the umbilical cord and he said he felt like it was electricity like jolting oh all the way up his arm with every pulse Wow! and that for him was more than her being born that was like the most magical part of the birth was that he was like wow this umbilical cord is powerful oh yeah and it's amazing at Oh, and it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so then we stayed in there for a while and then I didn't realize this, but every single member of my family had come around and was waiting in our living room. (laughs) I had no idea. I had no idea. They knew by that point that you were having fade at home. They did. They weren't really into it. I also don't think they really thought I was going to. And they also all kept thinking I had a midwife, even though I kept telling them I only had a doula. Right. Yeah. I, they just didn't. Honestly, it was like, I guess like when Pocahontas and her tribe saw ships and they were like, what's that? We've never seen that before. Yeah. No idea. Must be mm. a cloud. They just <laughs> couldn't comprehend what I was saying to them. Mm. And they were like, and even weeks afterwards, I were like, but you had your midwife. And I was like, I had Liz. Mum, she's not a midwife. Mm. And mum's and mum's like, You mean she had nothing medical there? And I'm like, no. And my mum's just having a mind blown. And I'm like, mm. lady, where were you? <laughs> But I guess she couldn't comprehend it beforehand. It was so unnormal and bizarre. Yeah. Um so then I laid on the bed with her for a bit. And it was two hours later that I got I started being like wanting to push my placenta out just because I wanted to make sure there was no chance of having a um, you know, any like extra bleeding or whatever and liz was not worried she was like girl you are great you have not bled hard oh, like i've wow. you've bled like nothing and i would really bled nothing um two like, hours yeah so two hours later i went on the toilet and i couldn't get it out because i was waiting for the urge to push it out and i never had it yeah and um you know and after listening to lots of free birth podcasts and stuff, there's all different things people talk about when birthing your placenta and none of those things are really happening to me.
0: Right.
1: And I got over the toilet, I got over a bowl over the toilet, which in a squat position, which was easy like kind of what I decided to do. And she said, put your thumb in your mouth, like put your thumb in your mouth and just blow. Yeah. And I did. And then I birthed my placenta. Mm. That was, it was crazy. Yeah. Like I put my thumb in my mouth and just went, mm. And started blowing on my thumb, and then I birthed the placenta. By this point, um, the cord has been cut. No, the cord hadn't oh, been cut. Okay. I decided to not cut it. Yeah, yeah. And so I ended up giving birth to her. Her head came out at eight, mm. and she was born at um eight oh three. Yeah, and her her body came out at oh three.
0: Yeah,
1: and um, yeah so this was about 10 o'clock when I, when I birthed the placenta and I went back in the room and everyone is losing their shit in the rest of the house. Like why is the patient's not letting us see this baby? Why can't we go in there? And I didn't, I just didn't want to increase my risk of bleeding. I wanted it to be completely private. I wanted the lights to be down until I'd birthed my placenta.
0: Mm.
1: So I, you know, then I started to move into the bedroom and I had the placenta there and People started and that's when only then I let people come in and see her and see me and stuff. And they were only in for like a second. Mm. And um, it also was John's brother's like first date with his girlfriend. (laughs) Was she there? (laughs) Which is so, she was there because they were like, he was like, hey, I guess when you just remember when you didn't have a baby or when you didn't give birth and you just have no concept and he thought it would be just like cool to bring her around. And she's like, yeah. Yeah. I know patients, I'll come round. They'd sort of been friends beforehand and I'd sort of met her beforehand. And they came round and they like literally only just started sort of saying like realizing they liked each other. And it was like their first date. Oh and when I was like in labor, they like for the first time like like held each other's hands and stuff. Oh so crazy. So sweet. <laughs> and um they're still together. They're still together. They're beautiful. really beautiful and they have really fond memories of hearing me like the sounds I made when I pushed her out. Oh my and God. For them, a pause, this what seems like this endless pause, and then a baby crying, and oh. everyone just like losing their shit in the living room, like, wah, everything's fine, like, oh, the baby's all over. like, wah. Oh my just, like, God. Losing it and going crazy. And I, yeah, I just didn't know they were even there. I had no idea.
0: Who told them there. to come over?
1: Well, John ended up, my brother called my sister to say like hey patients are having it like oh I called the mums so that's right with like information I'm like mum if you want to come out from the island I'm having a baby she didn't believe me by the way I'm just <laughs> like let me know I'm going into labor I just don't know if I'm going to need help with soda whatever yeah just being really prepared yeah but I'm like don't whatever i'm giving birth privately no one is coming in the room i'd actually even installed at the end of my pregnancy a tension rod with a curtain on it in the back hallway because i was like do not come past this (sighs) i needed a physical barrier to stop people coming in yeah um so yeah but i just still did not imagine that they were all there i just Mm. didn't think anyone had come over And I didn't hear them and it was great. And Liz kept going out and keeping them under control. And if they're making too much sound, she sent them outside. And so she was great. And, um, yeah, so, but then it was funny. Fade was just chilled and she was Mm. super chilled and relaxed and really easy. And then Liz um, cut her cord. and, And this just is insane. She basically, she stuck a peg, like a tight, peg that she'd sterilized that from ikea she'd sterilized gotten her sterile scissors from the pharmacy up the street and um she sterilized the peg she boiled it in 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 a saucepan so she clipped the umbilical cord and then she really tightly put dental floss around the bit after the clip yeah and then she cut the cord and then that was the first time um and i just felt really Sad because actually, I everybody tells me this is just a coincidence, there is absolutely patience, there is no correlation between these two events, right? And in my heart of hearts, I know that there is a correlation. She cried, she really, really cried when the umbilical cord got cut, yeah. And it's, I'm not the only person that's had this happened yeah only when i told my big sister afterwards did she tell me the same thing happened with her home birth with yeah. her son and hours later when they decided to cut the umbilical cord mm-hmm. he had he'd just been so chilled he came out smiling the midwife her husband in the room couldn't believe it he just was smiling
0: yeah um
1: when she cut the cord he started crying and there's like kind of other people that have said it to me
0: one of my friend indigo who i've interviewed um First episode, her daughter started screaming as well when the cord was cut. Well,
1: interesting. It does, it makes me feel not crazy I'm glad. Yeah. It could, so, I, if I am never going to have any other children, but if I ever did, I would definitely be the crazy Lotus birth mom.
0: Yeah. For sure,
1: I'm going <laughs> to be that crazy woman. But well, I, I didn't even know
0: children. I didn't know um, of the term Lotus birth until my friend Indigo told me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about a lot of things, actually, um, until after uh, yeah, the fact. Just,
1: yeah, totally. You just don't. I feel like that's the big difference between birth one and birth two is that after birth one, if you've got a hunger for it, you just are like, whoa, I, mm. what's this world out there that I felt like with rebirthing, I was in the matrix and I'd taken you know, the pill, the red pill, the blue pill, whatever pill they took. Yeah. I felt like I'd taken the pill. Yeah. And then I was in this community of women who had broken so many rules that had had free birth V-backs at home and, you know, just had other types of free births at home. And, and, um, and yeah, it was just this strange. And like, I had mecodium at my free birth, which was part of my dream was that, yeah. you know, a little bit beforehand I had a dream that I was going to have this great birth, but there was going to be meconium, but it wasn't a problem and fate was going to be fine. And, you know, it was great. The body has being her being born in the water was so beautiful for that because she didn't even know she'd been born. And she was so compressed by my like cervical canal mm. that it just did a really good job pushing all of the you know the meconium out followed by all the fluid in her lungs and the fluid in the lungs did a really good job of cleaning out any other hanging around meconium then I let her swallow anything else that might have been remaining but Liz said it was coming out of streaming out of her nose and her mouth and that when it turned clear she was totally felt totally comfortable with me giving birth and pushing her out completely after that point yeah and um so yeah, it was just a really, yeah, I took, I went off, I went off Matrix like mm. style with this birth and it was, it was crazy. And um, like you, um, I am a bit of a birth junkie and haven't really fully been able to say goodbye to that side of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did you end up going to the hospital anyway? Oh yeah, this is like the crazy bit that happened afterwards. So yeah. that night, you know, after 10 or whatever, I just went to sleep. Oh, didn't wow. go to the hospital and just had a beautiful or beautiful morning. The next day, Liz came back round, made me scrambled eggs, got, you know, whatever. Um, I also should mention, she fed me between when I, you know, between eight and 10 somewhere between when Fade was born and mm-hmm. when I cut, sorry, when I birthed the placenta, she'd yeah. also made me food and I was eating it and drinking a cup of tea and it was such a delicious cup of tea and just, um, Yeah, so then I, at some stage the next day, I was like, oh God, back to reality. Now I'm going to have to bloody tell my midwifery group practice that I've had the baby. And I just have a feeling this isn't going to go so well. Yeah, right. So I called her up and I let her know, and the the midwife I was going to be birthing with, and she was in shock. She just couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, Like I'd been a really naughty girl. I'd done something really naughty. Yeah. And I hadn't followed the plan, and I, you know, stolen a birth from her and she was really cross with me and then I said to her you know I'd like to it'd be great if you could come round for um, I'd really just like her to get a heel prick test done and all the other stuff like normal but yeah I gave yeah. birth to her last not, you know at 10pm last night and you know I guess that was like 12 hours ago whatever she was like very short with me mm. and said she'd come round. you know later on in the day
0: mm.
1: and so I think she came around the next day she didn't come around that day she came around the next day mm. And then sort of gave me just a bit of a surf about how it was dangerous. Um, you know, Faye could have had a bacteria, but her umbilical cord looks totally fine and looks good and doesn't seem to be a problem, but she could have got a germ in there and everything looks, everything looks really good. Liz had been coming around every day as well and, mm-hmm. and um, Liz gave really good checks of the baby, like with her spine and everything. I actually feel like she gave a more thorough check than even like my midwife, like my midwife did. And then my midwife refused to give me the, give her the heel prick test and was actually was kind of really rude and said, and like pretty much, I, I can't say this as a quote, but it's as close to it as I can remember. She said, well, I didn't see the baby getting born, did I? So how do I know it's even really, I can't even just truthfully say I even know it's yours. What? That. Yes. I know she wouldn't give me a heel prick test, and then she was like, and "So odd. then I had to start calling around, and I found the place closest to us was the Carrandale Westfield Shopping Centre,
0: mm.
1: and we went in to Sullivan Nicolades, and it was such a horrible experience. The woman there hadn't done one in fifteen years, and." she had to slash Fade's foot multiple times Mm. and it was really cold air conditioned and she just had trouble getting the blood out. She was like milking it and ripping on her leg and Fade was screaming her face off. And eventually we did it and Fade passed out, had at some stage just passed out from Mm. screaming. And it was a, just a horrific experience. And I didn't want to take like a three-day-old baby into you know a supermarket at that stage anyway. Yeah. It was just shit. Just sucked. Another midwife from the same midwifery group practice came around a few days later and was like, hi, and was so nice. It wasn't my midwife. It was a different midwife. Yeah. And she came in through the front door being like, oh, do you want a heel prick test? Have you had that done yet? And I was like, yeah actually I did Mm. it has to be done in like the first 48 hours to be super effective and it was over 48 hours but she was like oh I could have done it for you now and it still would have been pretty effective and blah 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 Mm. it was just like kind of a bit of a bummer but she was so nice to me she kind of helped restore some faith in the system I think it's just well I'd sort of robbed that midwife the other midwife I guess so she was and it's you know whereas this one just didn't know me and I guess she just wasn't phase mm-hmm, okay but i could tell with the original like the original midwife from the stars like i just don't think there's we are just not connected mm-hmm. but that's the hard thing about that is why now i'm just a massive campaigner for doers because continuity of care changes birthing outcomes but not only does it change birthing outcomes it lowers resuscitation rates
0: yeah
1: it's just like the one little part of it that no one expects is that there's like the chance of your baby in a hospital needing to be resuscitated, like being resuscitated or whatever, ventilated for breath Mm. straight away is actually lower when you've got your doula with you, Mm. who's part of your continuity of care. Because even when you go private, you don't know who you're actually going to get at the end of the day. And even when you go private, there's only so many people you can actually, you know, I guess choose from anyways, but there is an endless stream of doulas that you can come have around at your house to interview and you will definitely find one that you connect with and um I'm like really cynical of doulas as well I think you've got like I'm a real sort of cynical birther so I have like a bunch of questions to ask them and to even ask if you're getting a private obstetrician uh like things like you know I guess people say yeah only go to the you know we only whatever get like a, a episiotomy if it's necessary but it's like actually but like how often is it necessary in the last 10 births? How many have had episiotomies? Because if nine of them have had episiotomies, maybe you're not actually giving them when they're necessary. Maybe you're giving them a bit too often. So I think you've got to be really think about the way that you interview, um, Mm. you know, these people that are going to be with you with your birth. But that's, yeah, I just love doulas now. And I think I would have had a totally different experience the first time around. If I would have had a doula, maybe I would have been encouraged to stay at home longer I would yeah. have had somebody to advocate for me in the hospital and somebody the one person that i made eye contact with that was like a you know this sort of female guide birth guide that then it didn't matter what other public or private person was coming in and out of the room, I had my rock and I have my compass and I've got my person. Yeah. And then doulas are also amazing because she came around and visited me every week for six weeks. And then so many weeks after that, she came back. Like they really do a slow taper of their services. Yeah. And, you know, they do other things. Like they do your laundry. She oh. took down the birth pool. She took all the water out of it. She washed all the towels. She did all the laundry, cleaned the entire room that I birthed in. Like, yeah these, these things that you just, you know, don't kind of get. So yeah, I think you never know who you're going to get. and You don't ever know if you're going to really connect with them. And I, I do think the best money you could spend in your life if you do become pregnant is to get a doula and to really spend a bit of time and you've got time start from Mm -hmm. the start looking to find your right person. And I think it would just like, gosh, It'll pay you back in dividends. <laughs> mm. But yeah, they're my two crazy, totally opposite birth stories. And I'm sorry that it went for so long. It's just there was two of them.
0: No, that's good. It was, really <gasps> funny. It was um, so many details. Yeah, so many details. Like I get shivers and stuff when you're telling me. The-
1: <laughs> oh, me, yeah, me too. Actually, it's really funny. I know it's been like pretty much almost two and a half years, but yeah. I still can't believe that I went to a funeral and gave birth on the same day. That does blow my mind a bit. Like that was a bit of a big day. (laughs) Yeah. I, I thought you would say like, Hey John, can you take my neighbor?
0: You know, not like, Hey John, can you look after soda so I can go out and labor while
1: I'm at funeral? Yeah, that was, that was, everyone said to me, you should have really been staying at home. And I was like, Oh, I just really didn't think that it was going to happen so quick. I do think the true labor was probably only four hours. Yeah, yeah, I think right. true labour was from around, might have even been three, might have be even been around five when I like called her and said, okay, I think these are when I let the cookies burn or whatever. Yeah, but it was only a four or really three cool. hour labour in the end, which was surprising. I think the rest of it would really just have been considered a yeah. like a pre-labour moment. But yeah, me and the breathing and the hip tilting and the vocalisation and the and the shiny <laughs> I don't even know the lyrics, but it was like, so shiny, just mawad it in my head non-stop.
0: <laughs> um, I love the fact that you see yourself as a lion snake because when I was giving birth, my spirit animal was a hippo because of the noises I was making and mm. I was just like, yep, I'm a hippo. I'm making all these noises. Um, yeah,
1: I, I, you know, I would love to be a lion, but nope. <laughs> hippo, you were just a really kind um lovely animal, and I guess, but a hippo makes sense. they have a really big ass nails, you know <laughs> and there's that whole thing that they reckon there's like some correlation between when women are like have a bait like their mouths are open and their cervix is totally open, oh. and then you know it's like yeah, it's like yeah, but I think it's like if you open your mouth to as wide as you can, it's like pretty much what it's like. For the soft tissue of that whole area as your baby's coming out of it supposedly it's like this it's very similar stuff yeah i i like i i, I learned at yoga baby beforehand and um yeah i was like whoa no wonder why we like have these these like animals with these like big mouths <laughs> you know and, and a hippo is just natural look is pregnant so <laughs> makes sense i love it it's a that's a natural body shape. Pregnancy. Uh, um, I honestly thank you so much. Joy. I I think birth podcasts are just incredible and I think they play such a big role in how the individual woman comes to terms with, you know, being pregnant and what's mm. ahead of her and how women come together, um, even with even without coming together, just with, mm. you know, the podcast. And I think that they're gonna play a really big role for just so many generations Mm. of women in front of us that we can have this resource to to look back on and to listen to and I know that I think Soda and Fate will be really stoked that um you interviewed me in many years to come so yeah I hope they listen to it when they're ready thank you thank you yes thank you so much for having me on no thanks so much for your time
0: and i hope you have a good day today and I'll in quarantine um, i will <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, thank
1: thanks, you mate. so much and um okay can't wait to see you in melbourne when i come back officially friends
0: yeah and i'll see you then bye have fun <laughs> bye bye, bye.